0: This is The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins of Grace Calvary Chapel.
1: I would not be a pastor and I would not be a Christian if I did not tell you that I believe that Jesus has the power to overcome it. Sometimes it just takes more faith than others. Sometimes it just takes more courage put yourself out there to say a word, to get counseling, to do something that kicks against your pride. But you know, if I just listen to Jesus and I just invite him in this place, and I just obey his word, I know that he can take something plain and make it sweet again.
0: If you are blessed to get to walk through this fallen world with a husband or wife, are you growing deeper in companionship with both them and Jesus? Is your marriage reflecting Christ or this selfish, pleasure-seeking, lost world? Today, Pastor Josh will be reading through the story of Adam and Eve, where you'll learn how to keep your lifelong partnership in line with God's design for marriage. And with God's grace and your commitment, you can have a marriage that both honors Him and meets your needs. Now, here's Pastor Josh in the book of Genesis chapter 2, as he continues his message, Marriage After Eden.
1: Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me. And I ate, right? Everyone's just passing the buck to the next. That's the nature. And sin enters in the world, and we learn something very valuable about human nature. We love to push the responsibility of our own failures on the next closest person. That is the nature, and this happens the most in the marriage relationship because it is in the marriage relationship that you are seen the most, that you are known the most, that you are the most vulnerable, right? Everyone else thinks you're great. Everyone else has compliments for you, and then you get home, and the real truth of who you are comes out, and it's brought up to you by the other person, and all of a sudden, your pride feathers get ruffled, and it's just that initial response and reaction to say, nope, it certainly couldn't be This problem in this area of our marriage certainly couldn't be because I have made a mistake. It must be because you have made a mistake because I know that I'm pretty great. I'm pretty special. I know I'm not capable of those kind of things that you're capable of. And the war goes on and on. Our defenses go up more quickly. We convince ourselves that we are not at fault. And really, what this is, is it's it's a longing to be seen, to be known. It's a longing to be understood, to be valued, and not to be attacked, which is the place, marriage should be the place where all of those things exist. Now, please don't hear me suggesting that there aren't times and circumstances and situations where There might be one party of the marriage that is certainly more to blame than another for something that's gone wrong or an action that was done. Of course, that is the case. But I have recognized in my own marriage that I am far quicker to criticize the failures of my wife when I feel insecure about my own failures. And Jesus had a lot to say about this when he wrote in Matthew chapter 7, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? But you do not consider the plank that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me first remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye and you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And here's the thing. A lot of married couples, man, they're going around with these big two by fours sticking out of their eye, you know. And they get close to each other and they just start turning their hands like this and they just start whacking each other with it. And it just really hurts. You know, marriage... The marriage relationship is built on trust and intimacy. It's the safest place. I can be myself and receive grace. I can confess my sin and receive forgiveness. This is a place. It is sturdy, and yet it's fragile. And sometimes the fragility of marriage is tested by even the smallest things oh, honey, I'm so glad you're home from work. I'm, you don't know what kind of day this has been. It'd be really nice if you could do those dishes over there that are left at the sink. Well, I mean, you've been working, and it's not like I've been doing nothing all day. I'm kind of tired, you know, too. And, you know, remember we talked about that kind of being your responsibility? Well, I'm taking care of your kids, and I... My kids, excuse me, aren't they our kids? Well, you know what? If you were more attentive to our marriage and more attentive to my needs, maybe I wouldn't even have to ask you and you could just do something, I don't know, out of love. Oh, so the money I provide every day is not out of love. Working my tail off to put money in the bank so you can have, no, I didn't say that. All I mean, all I'm trying to say is I have responsibilities too and you're not very attentive. And you know what? On top of that, if you could just pay more attention to detail. Now, wait a minute. Hold on. You're the one who was talking to your friend all day on the phone when you could have been doing dishes. Excuse me. Ah, oh, you make me so mad. I just wish for a moment you could see me. Well, that makes two of us because, you know, for 25 years... Well, I haven't felt seen and I get on with it without saying anything. Well, that's because you hold up the hate inside of your heart all the time and you don't say anything. Well, at least I don't say anything because when you say something, it's just a bunch of trash. You jerk. No, you're a jerk. You sleep in the other bedroom for crying out loud. Well, I might be a jerk, but at least I'm not an imbecile. You idiot. You idiot. If that's the kind of marriage you want, keep it up. Because that's really hard to put back together once it crosses a certain point. And it really hurts when you hit your foot and you don't mean to. (laughs) Because sometimes it even hurts people that are outside your marriage. To walk in the Spirit means that, yes, I can be vulnerable in my marriage, but you know what? I have to deal with me. And I speak that to to me on all the times. I have a good marriage. I love my wife more than I've ever loved any other woman. It's better now than it's ever been before. She's gorgeous and stunning and beautiful and everything to me, and I have really made a mess of things sometimes. And it's always because, and I'm convinced, that the number one destroyer of the marriage relationship is selfishness because it's pride and selfishness. Everything else comes out of that. So before sin, there was no shame. There was no blame. And thirdly and finally, there was no pain. Verse 16 of chapter 2, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree in the garden, you may, and I love this word, we don't want to miss it, you may freely eat. Why do I bring this up? You've heard the phrase, no pain, no gain. That did not apply for Adam and Eve. There was no pain, and there was nothing more to gain. They had it all. Perfect environment, everything they needed provided by God, no concern, no outside factors to Factor into marital tension, right? Where's the rent going to come from? What about health care? What about our sick son? What about this? What about that? No, it's all as it should be. There's no pain. But after sin entered into the world, what happens? The curse of sin becomes a reality for every human being. In chapter 3, verses 16 through 19 in Genesis, God lays out the ramifications of this act of sin. He said to the woman, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception, and in pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat. Cursed is the ground for your sake, in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field." In the sweat of your face, and you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, and dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Because of sin, there are now difficult dynamics of separation within the marriage, right? I would tend to think that even with sin, if I just had everything provided for me and my wife and I just got to walk around in paradise naked, I would be pretty happy about that, to be honest with you. I wouldn't be complaining too much. Wouldn't be, you know, there would still be enough sin in me to create conflict. I'm pretty confident of that. But all of a sudden now, we have all these other factors that have been put into the equation, Right? Eve is now raising children and she's having pain in childbirth and she's having pain raising her children and she's having difficulty and Adam's out there toiling in the field and he's having difficulty and it's a worry and it's concern and it's anxiousness and then you put them both together and everyone just wants the other person to understand what they're going through and there's too much pull and tension, which brings about a sense of pain in the marriage. If anyone in here is selfish, please raise your hand. If you're not raising your hand, you're selfish. You're thinking, I don't want anyone to see me. We're we're all impacted by this. Is there a war or a battle or a skirmish going on in your marriage? Yeah, it's all her fault. Well, James chapter 4 verse 1 says this. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Don't they come from your own desires within your flesh, that war in your body? So what do we do? What do we do when sin has brought shame, blame, and pain into the marital relationship? Well, turn to John chapter 2, and this is where we will close. Really, the only solution It's to look back to Jesus. John chapter 2, an event is recorded where Jesus is part of a wedding. And I think there's a beautiful picture of what Jesus does there that is applicable for every couple that are moving in marriage. John chapter 2, starting at verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. But his mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing twenty or thirty gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, "'Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. "'And he said to them, "'Draw out some, and take it to the master of the feast. "'And they took it. "'When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, "'and did not know where it came from, "'but the servants who had drawn the water knew, "'the master of the feast called the bridegroom. "'And he said to him, "'Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, "'and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior.' But you have kept the good wine until now. I don't think it's an accident. It's the way the Holy Spirit works. That this event takes place at a wedding. Something that God is really into, this idea of marriage. Four principles I want to pull out. We don't have time to do an in depth study of this passage, which is really awesome. But follow me here. Four principles. What do I do? Number one, recognize that Jesus will work wherever he is welcomed. Jesus will work wherever he is welcomed. Don't miss that where it says Jesus was invited to the wedding. I think it's probably the best thing this couple ever did, invite Jesus to their wedding. It would have gone really sour without him. There would have been a lot of problems without him. They invited him to be there. And I think that the marriage relationship that is strongest is the one that invites Jesus to be the Lord over it. I know it's a simple and overused analogy, but I still think it's one of the best, that a healthy marriage looks like a triangle. And when God is in the middle and elevated above the relationship, when each person moves individually closer to God, they automatically move closer to one another. God is the answer. Jesus is invited. I wonder... How many people it might help if you just went home today and said, look it, I know it's been a struggle. I know we've been trying to figure this out ourselves. I know we've been back and forth at it for a long time on this issue. Can we just both agree to stop right now and just pray and ask Jesus to come be the Lord over it? What's that going to do, Josh? Try it and get back to me. Sometimes I have found that the most complicated issues in marriage are sometimes solved by the simplest moves. One step in the right direction, to the next step in the right direction, to the next step in the right direction. And it all begins with inviting Jesus. Second principle, Jesus will respond when we recognize our need. Jesus will respond when we request of him to respond. That ancient Jewish wedding feast lasted seven days. So to run out in the middle of it of the best wine that you have and the only wine that you have in the celebration means that you are in trouble with all of your guests. And in the same way, I recognize that human emotion, we'll call it the honeymoon phase, can only take you so far in a marriage before it runs out. Right? Pretty soon, you were so excited because you met Mr. Right, and then you realized he's Mr. Always Right. And then you were excited because she was just such a jewel and you get into this because emotionally you're just depending on one another. This is the person that's going to do it for me. Everything's going to be good. And then issues of sin come up and come about, and you wake up one day and go, "Where'd the wine go?" Where'd the joy go? Where'd the intimacy go? Where'd the happiness go? Where did it go?" It just is. It's like bland. It's like water. It just is. Is that that what God wants it to be? Just, Are you married? Yeah, it just is. Well, Mary knew the answer, didn't she? When she looked at the servants and said, whatever he says, do it. That, my friend, is good advice. Whatever he says, do it. I don't know how to be a husband. Go home and read Ephesians chapter 5, and whatever he says, do it. I don't know how to be a wife. Sit down and read the word. Seek the Lord. The Holy Spirit is an amazing guide. He will even inspire something in you that wasn't naturally within yourself to do towards your spouse. Follow the Lord. Whatever he says, do it. Don't let your heart be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, the Bible says. But today, if you hear his voice, soften your heart. What's that one word I can speak to my wife? What's that one priority I can reshift so that that person knows that I am a value, that they are a value to me? What? Just ask the Lord these things. Have these conversations with the Lord, and whatever he says, do it. Maybe it takes you and your spouse sitting down and having a peace treaty coming and saying, you can tell me your concerns without my reaction, and you can share your heart with me without my judgment. And have places where you can listen and recognize and communicate and process through. Try to have a better understanding of what's going on at the core. Third principle that I learned from this story is that Jesus will always bless when he is obeyed. Jesus will always bless when he is obeyed. Whatever he says, do it. I will tell you one sure way you'll never gain any ground in your marriage is if you walk disobediently to God. God. You will never gain any ground in your marriage. Imagine being one of the servants. You're staking your reputation, your job, whether or not this master will be pleased with you, solely on what Jesus asks you to do. You know that you put water in the pots. You know that you put water in the cup. And Jesus said, just go take it to the master of the feast. What are you thinking? You're like trembling as you walk? this is impossible, this is never gonna work, I don't know what I'm gonna do, but I'm gonna trust him, I'm gonna obey him, give him the cup, drinks the wine, this is the best wine ever. Well, it's a good thing you were obedient. You see, God often asks us to step into hard, seemingly impossible situations and trusting him in it. Josh, you don't know my marriage, you don't know what's happened, you don't know what's going on, you're right, I don't, and I don't pretend to, and I don't minimize what's going on, but I would not be a pastor and I would not be a Christian if I did not tell you that I believe that Jesus has the power to overcome it. Sometimes it just takes more faith than others. Sometimes it just takes more courage to put yourself out there, to say a word, to get counseling, to do something that kicks against your pride, but you know if I just listen to Jesus and I just invite him in this place and I just obey his word, I know that he can take something plain and make it sweet again. He can reinfuse that which sin has stolen. And that's my final point. And this final observation in this story is that Jesus truly can save the best for last. He really can. Usually, the wedding host would, of course, bring out the best wine at the beginning so everyone's impressed. And then, once they're all a little sloshed and a little happy, then bring out the, the cheap wine. No one will care at that point. But what impresses me is the master of the feast, when he tastes the wine that Jesus creates, he said, you saved the best wine till last. And the bridegroom's going, yeah. Yeah, I did. What's going on? What does this tell me? That whatever Jesus does is better than the best that the world can do. Which means if you are in Christ and your spouse is in Christ, and you have a marriage in Christ, the potential of what you can have is better than anything else you see out there. It doesn't mean it's not hard. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean that there aren't hiccups along the way, but you keep pressing in. You keep pursuing. Your marriage is worth it because it points to Jesus and his relationship as the bridegroom of the bride of Christ. And of course, I think God can revitalize marriages that maybe marriage is not bad, but it's just not the best it can be. Maybe it's a good time to reevaluate and say, what does this season of life hold for us in the Lord? I do want to say a quick word because the realities of sin sometimes create dynamics in a marriage that doesn't allow that marriage to be reconcilable. That needs to be said. By no means hear me saying, if your husband keeps cheating on you, and he keeps cheating on you, and he keeps cheating on you, just go do the best you can to love him and show him Jesus, and everything's going to be okay. If there's abuse in a marriage, if there's sexual immorality in a marriage, it doesn't mean that that marriage is not salvageable, but sometimes it means that you have to draw the right boundaries and make the hard decisions. And if you have been in that position where marriage has failed for whatever reasons, here's what you need to know. God is a God of redemption. He's not holding your past failures or another person's past failures or just a past broken marriage or past sin. He's not holding that and basing all that stuff on where you're headed in the future. You can move forward in his grace and his strength. So, please hear me when I say this. Sin should not be tolerated in the marriage. It should be dealt with. And if it's dealt with to the degree that the marriage can't be resolved or reconciled, then so be it. Even Jesus said that there are times where that is the outcome and that is the option. But for most of us in here, I think we need to be encouraged that we live in a marriage relationship that has sin in it, it just does. You're not gonna have a marriage that has no shame and no blame and no pain. It's not gonna happen. But we're getting married next week. Then I'm telling you now, it's not gonna happen. But obey Jesus, invite Jesus, follow Jesus, and have faith in Jesus. And as you obey his word and follow his word and you allow God to form you into the person you need to be, you can have a marriage that is stunning, fruitful, beautiful and effective for the mission that God put you on this earth to accomplish.
0: Thanks for joining us today here on The Ascending Life. Pastor Josh Blevins had a great message to share today, and we trust that what you've heard has been an encouragement to you. If what you heard today has left you with some questions, we'd like to ask you to reach out. You can get in touch with us by calling us at 816-279-2090. If you need to hear that number again, it's 816-279-2090. You can also email us at mail at graceontheweb.org. Some of what you heard might be completely new to you. If that's the case, and you're still trying to figure out what you believe about Jesus, feel free to go to theascendinglife.com and click on the Know Jesus tab. There you'll be pointed in the right direction to understand more about who Jesus is and how much he loves you. Here at Grace Calvary, Our mission is to awaken people to the love, truth, and power of God. Do you want to hear more messages from Pastor Josh? Head over to TheAscendingLife.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast, too. Again, that's TheAscendingLife.com. We appreciate you listening to this edition of The Ascending Life as we strive to put Jesus first. That's all the time we have for today, but we can't wait to get back into another enlightening teaching from Pastor Josh. Will you make plans to join us again? We hope so. There's so much more to learn and appreciate about God. So be sure to tune in next time on The Ascending Life.